My name is Chloe and today is the 23rd of September 2020. This interview is taking place via Zoom. To get us started, I'd like to know a little bit about you and your background. Can you tell me your name and the year that you were born? Okay, I'm Abby and I was born in 1955. So I was 65 this year. Where did you grow up, Abby? I grew up in London and left when I was 19. And then I spent 25 years in West Yorkshire. And then I moved up to Scotland in 1999. What is your background? What's my background? Yeah. What, what you mean, uh, what's my background? Um, I've always been interested in art. When I was in my teens, I wanted to be an art therapist, but I've never done that. Um, I went to art college. Uh, I then did a women's studies degree afterwards. Um, and I've worked in all sorts of part-time jobs in order to support the artwork, not always in jobs connected with art. So I've run a whole food shop and I've worked as a secretary and I've done a lot of care work and yeah basically made sure there's been money coming in. Raised four kids as well. <laughs> two of my own and two of somebody else's. So yeah, it's been a full life. <laughs> um, you mentioned that you went to art college. Was this when you first got involved with the arts? No, I, I had a child, I was a teenage mother. Um, and I didn't go to art college until 1983, so I must have been 55, 65, 75. I was 28 when I went to, to art college. Um, I was at Bradford, and they were trialling a, a sort of open qualification. It was pass or fail, and you focused on different areas. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a fine art degree or a... Um, design degree it was a combination and it was it was tailored to the students really and there was I think there must have been about 40 of us but there was actually eight people including me who were mature students which was really nice you know we weren't all 18 19 20 so that was really good powerful time <laughs> What was it that led you to choose to do a, a qualification at art college? I think it was just interest. I wanted to, the thing I love is processes. I love learning about how to do things. So, you know, and, and the facilities you get at art college make it possible to do that because you can, obviously you can try all sorts of things you could never try at home. Um, and I don't, I don't think I went in with some idea of being an artist when I came out or of finding a job with it. I just, it was something I really wanted to do. And what were the kinds of activities or the, the types of artwork that you, that you would produce? Me, I, I focused on, um, Figurative sculpture, so it was basically people made out of clay, mostly. 
um, and etching. I love doing that. Um, so sort of making images in reverse and building up layers to produce pictures. And in fact, for, for the degree show, um, I did a lot of hand typesetting. It was before you could get all the fonts on the computers. In fact, it was basically before computers. So all the type was hand set, you know, in the old fashioned way. And you'd get this board and you'd lay the type in. Um, I can't remember. I know we did some community art, but I don't know whether, I can't remember being directly involved in that. I think a couple of people got me to help with their projects. But yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was good having access to all those facilities. And back, back when you first started out, um, was mental health a common theme in terms of public attitudes? No, absolutely not. I'd been in and out of therapy since, um, since I was 17, which year would that be, 55, 65, 1972. And it was never something I would have spoken to anybody about. Um, and the subject, even though we were in an art college with art lecturers, the subject never came up. Not that I'm aware of. You know, it, it was just, yeah. I mean, looking back, it makes you quite angry. But it, I mean, the, you can't change the fact that it was still a completely undercover topic. Why do you think that it was? Because I don't think anybody talked about mental health then. I remember going, that I was seeing um, a psychiatrist at a place called the Maudsley, which is a big London uh, hospital. And even the people in the waiting room were not making eye contact. And there was one guy who was wandering around trying to make eye contact with everybody and people were really keeping their heads down. They did not want to engage with him. And yeah, so I think, you know, I don't think I felt it myself, but it was definitely like there was an attitude of shame around mental health. Really. I think, I mean, I think also I was in such a state that I wasn't aware of what it would look like from the outside. You think that attitudes have changed? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. In fact, funnily enough, especially this year, you know, it's suddenly it's a buzzword. Everybody's talking about mental health like it didn't exist before. <laughs> but yeah, no, it definitely has changed. Definitely. But I think and I think in a way. It's quite hard for people my age to speak about it because we spent so long in silence. You know, it's it's in a way it's quite difficult to open up about it because it was always something we weren't supposed to talk about. Has mental health always been a, a theme in your artwork? I think indirectly it has. I was thinking about that. Um, I'll show you this little picture. You probably can't see it, but it's, um, I'm not sure where the original is, but it's a picture of a, a tiny woman in a garden 
And I did that in, when did I do that? 1989. And it wasn't until 1993 that I started to realize what it was about because I was leaving messages for myself. So it was almost like things were coming out through the artwork or through the poetry, because I wrote masses of poetry when I was much younger, that I couldn't put definitions to until much, much later. So, yeah, I mean, I think, yes. So I think that the mental health was always part of it, but I often didn't realise that. And often, yeah, often indirectly, that, you know, tackling it directly, I think is probably something I've only done more recently. I don't think I've tackled mental health in my artwork. I don't know, maybe I have. It's hard to tell because in some ways I think you don't separate what you're doing from who you are. You know, it's all, so it's all sort of dovetails and you don't actually say, oh, this is a piece about mental health. I mean, I know some people do, but I haven't. I haven't done it like that. I've tended to more, you know, when I'm being specifically engaged in thinking about art and mental health, it's when I've been working with other people. But when it's my own work, up until recently, it's mostly been almost like at a remove. So I, I make the work because I need to make the work and I don't think too hard about the implications. And then, as I say, sometimes I go back and look at it later and realise it's actually quite a clear message. So, yeah. You're getting me to think about stuff. <laughs> <laughs> at the point when you started out or in in the time period since have you been aware of um an arts and mental health community not as such no it would be it would be odd little things like um reading a book about somebody who used to work in mental hospitals with patients doing art and he was talking about his work so there would be that and then maybe years later meeting someone who did that sort of work, you know, but not, not, not in a sort of clearly defined way. And then, yeah, and then the work I was doing myself, because I worked with quite a lot of vulnerable people down the years doing art. Can you tell me about some of that work that you did? Yeah, I mean, that goes back quite a long way because... Um, I've done it voluntarily. I worked once quite short term with inpatients in a mental hospital. No, sorry, inpatients in hospital who were on the mental health ward. Um, that, was, uh, that, that was actually in the early days and I wasn't getting enough support and I actually left because I found it too difficult to cope without support. Um, and then I've worked... The other voluntary work I've done, I spent a month working at uh, Projectability in Glasgow, um, doing paper cutting and then running workshops for people who were there with mental health issues on paper cutting. Um, but I've also done other things like um, I ran a project in Kukubri in the early 2000s, which was called Access Art. 
and that was where we worked one-to-one -one with adults with um, learning disabilities doing art and it, I mean it was only an hour a week but it was very intense because it was one-to-one -one. and although we didn't specifically talk about the mental health aspect that was very much involved because I mean at the end of I think the end of the first year or the second year I, I arranged an exhibition and you know you could see the self-confidence building when they saw their own work framed and on the wall and you know friends and family and carers and even general public coming to see it and I, it was a very small project I've probably only seen maybe 10 people in a week but it was yeah that was good I enjoyed that and then since then I've done um I've worked with a charity the other side of Glasgow again doing art for people who hear voices or self-harm and then I was doing some voluntary work in Paisley with the uh, Sunshine Recovery Group which is for uh, addicts, addicts who are trying to um, leave it behind but uh, lockdown closed that one down so yeah varied projects when you know when I can get them really you mentioned about the impact on uh, people's self-confidence of taking part in those projects what were the what were the other aims of the projects that you were involved in self-expression um, sometimes allowing people to say things through pictures that they couldn't say in words and I mean that included a woman who couldn't speak so it's like you know for her and finding something that she enjoyed doing was a real challenge um, what else a, a lot it, a lot of it was building self-confidence and self-expression though I think those were the two main aims of the projects the various projects because I think yeah with with both those I think it does improve your mental health simply because if you can express yourself you're one step further on to knowing who you are even if you can't understand what's going on and if you if you're feeling more confident well that's better for everybody isn't it do you have any particular favorite pieces of artwork that were produced as part of those projects i think in some ways it was the it was the, like the you know just seeing what the individuals could do there were and and how it changed them there were two young men with mild learning disabilities and in a way they were worse off than the others because they were aware that they struggled with things other people could do and once they started doing the artwork one of them turned out to be a really quite good cartoonist um and yeah there was a lot of self-confidence built with that and then there was a there was a, a woman in her 50s with um living with down syndrome who spent months doing a picture of a she was copying it but she wasn't because it was coming out as her own picture of a bird you know like a, a falcon or something like that and she spent months on that I mean you know in total it was probably 15 one-hour sessions to get this one picture completed and that was lovely and then in a way the real highlight 
was a guy who, he was about the same age as me, um, and he'd never been diagnosed, but he was obviously way out on the autistic spectrum because people my age weren't diagnosed. We just expected to get on with it. So he had some learning difficulties. He had a speech impediment and he could be really angry. I think, you know, just because nobody ever understood what was going on for him. And it took months, but finally I discovered that if he had some graph paper with quite big squares on it, he produced what looked like embroidery patterns. It was just stunning. And he, you know, he was working with felt pens and each individual square was being colored in. And then you'd look and it was just this amazing picture. And you know, we, we sort of put several of them together and they just look really good. And I think one of the best things that came out of that was that his carers told me that he started doing it at home as well. Instead of sitting in front of his computer getting wound up about something, he was focusing on these little squares and filling them in with color. And yeah, I, I loved that. I, you know, just that I'd found some way for him to link with himself and take it somewhere else. It, that was really nice. And then the, one of the one of the women at the um, at the charity for people who hear voices or self harm, she spent weeks doing a picture of a dog who died that she'd been really really fond of. And she kept saying to me, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. And I said, go on, try a little, you know, put in that ear, put in that eye. And we had to work really hard to get her to feel confident enough to do it. But she did it. And the picture was lovely. It was really nice. So, yeah, it's the little things. And I suppose in some way that you can't separate the pictures from the people who have the experience of making them. You know, because you know, I remember how the things changed as they as they did this work. I think the funniest one was the woman who couldn't speak. She'd been institutionalized all her life. She was in her late sixties, couldn't couldn't speak, was probably pretty deaf because she would always shout and just make noise. And I mean she was frustrated. You could see that she was frustrated with things. And I worked out that if I gave her these pads, she could stamp paint in pictures, just making abstract. And she loved doing that. You know, you get these really swirly, bumpy pictures. And it, yeah, she was really showing something of, that meant something to her and picking colors that she liked. <laughs> she was a character. <laughs> Oh dear. What impact did your involvement in these projects have on your own health? Um, I think it gave me confidence. <laughs> and yeah, I've obviously remembered quite a lot of the individual stories, you know, it's sort of it fed a lot in. And I think also in a way it, it allowed me to be, um, I think I'd always been quite controlled because etching is, although you, you produce, it's quite a controlled process, you know, because you're using acids and you're using ink and everything has to be just so. Um, 
and the same with figurative sculpture because you're actually trying to get something to look like people and I think working with all these different people made me able to be less controlled sort of be freer and sort of think more outside the box think about other ways of tackling things I think that's why I got into puppetry in the end you know sort of puppets were a, something I would never have thought of doing sort of 10 years before uh, yeah so yes made me more adaptable as well When did you start branching out into puppetry? <laughs> I decided on my 60th birthday that I needed a new career. <laughs> so I decided to go into puppets because it, it drew together everything. Because I've always done a lot of paper cutting, which is like paper cutouts or stained glass window effects. Um, and it meant I could bring together lots of different skills. You know, building scenery, building a puppet theatre and building the puppets. And also because I'd had this idea that had come out of an event that I was involved in backstage and I couldn't even speak about it at the beginning, but the idea was to tell some of my, story, my own story through puppets. So yeah, first of all, I did three shows, three different shows for children. And then I started working on the one that was for adults, which was about my story. So yeah, well, I'm quite looking forward to retiring now. <laughs> with all of the different projects that you've been involved with over the years, what would you say the main challenges that you've faced have been? I think sometimes not losing heart because um, I was dealing with quite challenging people. And, you know, sometimes dealing with people who were absolutely certain they had nothing to offer. And that can be quite tough, especially if you're working one-to-one -one with them. And also, yeah, having to, for the time that I was working, having to put aside my own stuff, you know, when when I did the project in Kukubri, um, the guy who was running the whole thing from Dumfries said to me, we're not therapists, we're creating a therapeutic space. And that made absolute sense to me that you were, you know, that you weren't being a therapist, you were just making this space that felt safe and that people could explore in. And I think um, you know, there would be days when I'd turn up either there or at one of the other things I did when I was really stressed, but I just had to let it go. And that could be really challenging if I had stuff that I was trying to deal with. You have to sort of put it aside. I mean, different people have different ways of working, but for me, it's not fair on the people you're working with if you involve them in your own stuff all the time. It doesn't make sense to me. I know people do it, but it doesn't make sense to me. I need a bit more distance and uh, yeah in order to do that I have to sort of leave my stuff at the door but the only time I lost it was the guy who did all the embroidery pattern type stuff he he'd had a run-in um about he always wanted a girlfriend and he'd never had one 
And he came in one day in an absolutely filthy mood. And he was behaving really bizarrely. You know, he wouldn't walk into the room in front or behind his carer because it was a woman. He was sort of keeping his distance and keeping his distance from me. And I just lost it with him. I said to him, if you don't want to be here, go away. I don't need this. You know, but yeah, I think, you know, he caught me on a bad day. And he did actually back down and apologise. I think I did as well, actually. (laughs) So, yeah, there there have been. And in the early days working at the hospital and not getting enough support, that was actually quite awful. I mean, it would never happen now. And we're going back to the... 1980s and they'd never do that now they'd never leave somebody who was untrained with with inpatients who obviously had fairly severe problems so what was the reaction of your colleagues back when you were working at the hospital in in that circumstance um i was totally when i say i was unsupported i'm i mean that i was working on my own in a room with several people doing clay work um I hadn't I don't think had I been I was I was I'd either just started or was going to art college. So I had no specific training at all. And I was just left to get on with it, probably because they were totally understaffed. Um and there was one woman there, a young woman, who was turning out these strange things. And when I went for my lunch, some, um, there was somebody who worked in the department next to me in the queue. And I said to him about, because well, I was really concerned about what she was doing. And, and he said to me, oh, yeah, blah, blah, gave me her story. And I thought, why has nobody mentioned that to me before? You know, why have I been just left with this? So yeah, that yeah, that wasn't really a good situation. It really wasn't. Why so I didn't feel there were colleagues? I think is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Why do you think that things would be different now for people working in those environments? I think um, for all sorts of reasons. I mean, partly because health and safety has gone off the deep end. And, you know, you can't turn around without filling in a piece of paper. Um, And I think because psychiatry and all that branch of things has moved on in some ways, not totally, has moved on a long way. And people really understand the point of things like therapeutic arts. And it's actually much harder to to get involved now as you know coming in from the outside it tends to be quite a closed shop it's quite difficult to get in or it was for me but that might have been you know things to do with my age or my lack of training it yeah i'm I never worked in hospitals again because I wasn't comfortable with what I was seeing. And that's, as I say, that's back in the 80s. And I suspect I'd feel the same way now. You know, just in a whole different way, I'd find it pretty uncomfortable. And I think, I mean, I think also if you're somebody who 
has had a lot of mental health issues, it can be very hard to go into a place where there are other people with severe mental health issues because it's really a case of there but for the grace of God go I. You know, if I've just managed to take that one little step to stay out of that, for whatever reason, you know, how lucky am I? Because those people are no different to me. They've got, you know, they've got all their own things that they would like to be doing and they just can't keep it together. When I, when I got the, um, I got a writing award for a poem I wrote, you know, with, um, um, the mental with SMAF a couple of years ago. And when I went up to actually get the, re the, the award, what I said was, this is for all the people who didn't make it. And a woman, I left soon after because of the trying to get back here. A woman came out as I was leaving and, and she said, hang on, hang on. And she just wanted to thank me for saying that because nobody else was actually had said anything quite like that. You know, but I think that's it's really important to me. I'm really aware that from a mental health perspective, I've been incredibly lucky. It's yeah. And I think the art has helped. The art and the writing has really helped. You're very good at this, Chloe. I don't usually talk like this. <laughs> Do you think that your own experiences with mental health had any impact on the, the the path that your career has taken? Oh, absolutely. I've never been able to hold down a full-time job because as soon as I do more than about 20, 25 hours a week, I get so stressed I can't cope, you know? And um, what other impact? I know my self-confidence has never been good enough to go into a whole range of what you might call proper jobs. You know, I'd, I'd rather sort of work at a grassroots level. And somebody once said to me, if you can change one person's mind completely in, their, in your lifetime, you're doing well. You know, because in a way we all sort of go on with our own preconceptions and everything. And I think I, I, think I just prefer to work like that. I prefer to recognise that other people have things to deal with same as I do you know and uh, yeah I'm, I'm not interested in academia or lots of money or you know those things just don't interest me and I'm sure part of that is because of always having to deal with the mental health stuff it's like that's taken up quite a chunk of time and energy and I haven't been able to put that time and energy into other things on the, on the projects that you've worked with, have you been aware of other staff members or colleagues that also had um, their own lived experience? Is that quite a common theme in that? Yes, I think it is. But um, a bit, I think because of the way I've worked, it's not been something that's been discussed. It's more a case of, you know, you go in and, see somebody you're going to be working with and you think oh yeah that's I recognize her you know and it's as simple as that and and again I suppose because so quite a lot of the people I have other colleagues I've had 
also don't want to bring their own lived experience into their workplace. So you do, you sort of recognize each other, but you don't go any further to discuss it. I think you'd have to have maybe a much um, more involved relationship because a lot of the things I've done have been things where I've been only been in there once a week or um, for a short period of time, you know, like just for a month. So, so you don't really build up relationships in that way. There's not enough time. But yeah, no, I'm certain that a lot of them have got their own lived experience. And in fact, sometimes it does spill out. I remember one, one per colleague once suddenly talking about something that had happened to her in a, in a, um, in a domestic abuse situation. And it just, it just come out, you know, something had triggered it. But this wasn't somebody who normally talked about her personal stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I think we recognize each other. I think it's, it's as simple as that. And it feels good that, it feels good that there are other people out there who have managed to process enough that they can be offering something instead of having to keep taking because they can't, you know, if you're somebody who hasn't been able to get over the hurdles, you have to keep taking help because you can't cope. Whereas if you manage to go a little bit further and manage to step through that, then you can start offering back to those people. Have you been aware of any of the, the people that you worked with, the vulnerable people or people who were struggling with their own mental health? Um, have you been aware of any of them taking their art forward after the projects are finished? One or two, but not, not, not a lot. And it's hard to say because it is that a thing, you know, you do the project and you move on and you don't really find out. <laughs> With the artworks that were produced, what what happened to them? Did you did you put on exhibitions or that kind of thing? Just just for the project in Kakubri, we did, and then um, quite often you you'll have um, sort of display days where people put their work out and everybody has a look at it. And at the project in Glasgow, when things were finished, the people running the project would put them up on the wall, you know, so people could see each other's. And then Paisley was the same. They did, they did put on exhibitions and stuff. So, yeah, it does happen, it, you know. And I think, uh, yeah, it, it, it is that important thing of saying, yes, you have value. You know, what you do has value. And it, it is just as important as other pieces of art. What were the reactions from other people? What, to seeing the artwork? It's usually pretty good. It's um, it does quite often tend to be family, friends, carers, other workers, um, but when it is people just coming in, sort of out of the blue, off the street, they're, they're usually quite positive, and sometimes quite surprised if they know the person who's done the work. There was one guy who was he was a complete Rangers fan, so he'd only do things in blue. And he, all he did was, <laughs> he, he kept doing little scribbles about this big. 
So I frame nine of them up together and, you know, as a, as a piece with nine of them all together, it just looked really nice. It was really interesting. And somebody came in and looked at that. And when they heard, you know, when they saw who'd done it, they were quite surprised. They hadn't expected that, you know, that he could even do that much, you know, that, that he was able to do that much. I wanted to ask you a little bit about funding. I don't know if you were ever involved in the, the funding aspects of any of those projects, but um, who who funded the work? I'll think about that. No idea is the answer. I, I didn't really, I mean, obviously I had to produce all the books and, you know, what money had been spent and stuff like that, but I wasn't actually involved in that side of it at all. It's not something I'm very good at. <laughs> Don't understand the ins and outs of it. In fact, I think it's probably quite a nightmare thing to have to do. And yeah, because you hear people say, oh, our funding's about to be cut. And it's like, we want to run this project. And then, yeah, sometimes they get it back and sometimes they don't. Um, I wanted to move on to mental health and the arts more generally. Why do you think it's important that mental health as a, as a theme is covered in the arts? I think because it's such a powerful way to tell stories that can't be told any other way. You know, that they, they don't make sense any other way, but if you tell them through pictures, film, writing, they can be really, really powerful. And for the people who do them, it's a really empowering way to talk about themselves. What I always found with the puppets was the fact that they told the story meant the focus wasn't on me. So in some ways it's easier to tell your story with this third party, you know, that through the artwork or the, or the, um, the writing or the film, because you, you put it out there and you give it its own shape. It has its own life. I think it's vital, mental health in the arts. I'm not used to talking so much. And... <laughs> <laughs> um... Who, who is most likely to be, to be impacted in a positive way through attending arts events? Who's most likely to be? I think probably the most powerful impact would be on somebody who's not told their own story or not, you know, not been able to put their own story into some context. I think they'd be most affected by it and then you sort of you know then it would yeah people who empathize with the problems would obviously feel the impact but really everybody should experience something otherwise they're being totally insensitive how do you think the arts has contributed to the way that we view mental health more generally? By giving it a voice. I think, um, I think because people who work using mental health in art are challenging just by virtue of what they do. I mean, at the last um, 
out of sight, out of mind exhibition last year. There were works that were just, they were really powerful. They were really, they were challenging people's perceptions of a whole range of mental health issues. And I mean, again, it doesn't matter who sees them as long as some people see them, you know, because that immediately means that's another person who's looking from a clearer perspective of what's going on. Maybe I should draw you a picture <laughs> instead of trying to use words to describe it. <laughs> How would you like the relationship between mental health and the arts in Scotland to develop over the next five or ten years? It would be nice to take it I mean, you know, depending on what happens in the next year or whatever, it would be nice to take it to smaller venues to make it more accessible, to take it into school. I mean, you know, yes, take it into primary, but definitely start taking it into secondaries where they can, you know, the, the young people who are going to be tomorrow's workers have a better idea of what goes on. And yeah, and, and sees the value of it. I wanted to ask as well about your own artwork and if you have a, a favourite piece that you produced. Yeah, I would have brought her down, but she's packed away because I'm moving house. Um, the best piece I've produced is the puppet called the Torn Teen because she represents... Um, me as a completely distressed teenager. Uh, she's the same size as I am. I did an interview with Maeve with her sat next to me. Um, and there's just something, she's like an extension of me, but she's not me. You know, it, so, so when she tells stories, yeah, she just, yeah, there's something really, I don't know what the word is. Um, it's like I've given her a bit of my soul so that, so that when she is acting and reacting, although you can't tell that it's my thoughts because it's her, there's still a little bit of me living in her. I love her to bits. <laughs> But I've also, I mean, I've also got two beautiful puppets of the owl and the pussycat, you know, which are also, they're quite big. They're about this sort of three foot off the floor. And the owl is all made out of music paper. So, you know, every feather is, is a music paper piece. And there's just something really lovely about working with puppets. I've got other, I mean, yeah, how, how far back do you want to go? <laughs> I think this piece that I showed you of the, I mean, that's just a paper cut. It's a, it's a sheet of paper cut with a scalpel. And it shows that I call her the worrying warrior and she's gardening. And I think because that was such a powerful message that I left myself, that, that that's one of my favorite pieces. You know, I've kept that, I've kept the original, and yeah, it, I always have it up somewhere. So, yeah. 
than it is. I mean, it's the pieces of artwork that represent the better parts of my mental health. And do you share your artworks with others or is it primarily for yourself? No, I do share them. Um, I make cards, or I did. I haven't made any for a while. Um, I quite often give works away because I, you know, just to sort of share pictures with people. Um, I have had exhibitions, but not since about fifteen years ago. I mean, partly because you need, you've got to have somewhere that's right for an exhibition. You know, it, it, there, it's. Uh, so yeah, I do. I do share. I took up lino cutting in lockdown because I needed something, you know, completely new to engross me. And I've given quite a lot of those away. That was good fun. But yeah, I'm about to move house, so a lot of stuff is packed. I think I've covered most of the, the questions that I had to ask, but is there anything else that you would like to say? I don't think so. I think we pretty much covered it and then some. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Thank you very much for participating, Abby. That's been so interesting. Oh, good. I'm so glad. No, it's, it's been fascinating. And I really love the, the paper cut picture as well. Right. Oh, it's good. just so beautiful. Thank you. All right, Chloe. Well, thank you so much, Abby. Come on, enjoyed it. Good, I'm glad. Nice to see right. you. Yep, yeah, you too. Take care. Bye. Bye.